HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. We are a member-supported, nonprofit food radio station. That means that every single thing we do, from broadcasting 35 weekly shows for free to bringing you exclusive content from sold-out food events across the country to offering scholarships to high school students, is only possible thanks to the support of our loyal members. And we want you to join the club. Become a member during our 2017 Summer Drive to get access to sweet swag and pledge your support to the world's only food radio station. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to become a member now. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm David Bolte. My name is Souther Teague. Hey, Souther. Buddy. How you doing, buddy? I am well. I'm so happy to see you. You too, man. It's, uh, it's been a while. been a while. <laughs> How was your Tales of the Cocktail? It was great. Um, really, really cool, man. Um, got to meet a lot of, uh, a lot of new people. Yeah. Um, I, I keep joking. Like, I was like, I was extremely responsible this year. And I keep saying, like, the worst pain I felt from Tales of the Cocktail was from patting myself on the back too hard. Nice job. And, uh, yeah, I met a lot of, uh, actually, <laughs> oh, yeah. Way to go, David. Thank you. Thank you. Um, met a lot of, uh, listeners to the show, uh, of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really cool. It's, you know, you always joke around on the show. You're like, for the four people listening out there. <laughs> but, dude, they're, like, I mean live. The, within, the, <laughs> within the first hour of being in New Orleans, I met probably four to six people who came up to me and they're like, dude, listen to the show. And it's the reason why I became a bartender. And that was yeah. like, that was really amazing. Man. I hear that all the time. I love it. It's great. I'm very proud of you and us. I'm proud of you, buddy. Hey, thanks, man. And we had a great seminar. Uh, some of those people who I met, they came to the seminar the next morning. We did. It was great. It was fun. Um, Talked about podcasting, which seemed weird to talk about podcasting to a live audience. Yeah. <laughs> but it was fun. Yeah. Well attended. It was yeah. Have you gotten some emails? People were engaged. Yeah. I have. Yeah, people were engaged. They asked a lot of good questions. Uh, we actually had to go downstairs and field some more questions afterwards because we had to get out of the room. It was great. Yeah, very cool. It was fun being on stage with you and Karen Newman and Brian Weber. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I took a Zoom recorder with me. Last week's episode was just a clip show of me recording people sort of semi, well, sober and somewhat drunk as the day went on <laughs> each day. Um, yeah. I launched an app at Tales of the Cocktail. Yeah. How's that going so far? It's going great. Oh, man, we're getting Batch. a lot of great results. It's called Batch. Uh, it's a communications, uh, learning, professional development, and, communi- uh, and, and it's basically text app uh, for, for professionals and enthusiasts in, in our business. And uh, uh, we kind of launched it as a beta while we were there, so we're getting a lot of good feedback, and we're, we're making the app better as we go. So if you feel like doing that, join it. Yeah, of course. And, uh, yeah, TOTC 2017. Uh, every, if, if you listened to the show last week, every single person, I didn't realize it because I was doing it in, in installments. Every single person I introduced, I would say, oh, I'm on the streets of New Orleans out in front of uh, Lafitte's uh, Absinthe House with my dear friend, Dave Pickerel. My dear friend. My, I said dear friend, I think. Uh, of the 22 <laughs> people I interviewed, I'm pretty sure I said my dear friend 15 times. That's awesome. <laughs> so I sound a little repetitive. But, that, you know, that's the nature of Tales of the Cocktail. That's true. I had a great time, too. And, and based on what you just said about being a, a responsible year, I think that was true for everyone this year. I found that this year was the most, uh, is the best one that I've been to. I've been to um, eight out of the last nine. And I think it was the best one that I've been to. And I think one of the reasons that it was the best is people seemed a bit more reserved and responsible. There was a, there's a lot like a, that happened over the last year that I probably feel, led to that. I feel like a lot more stuff got done because of it. Yeah. Anyway. Sure. Yeah. It was, it was great. Did Let's you keep up that? I had three. to leave on Saturday and then end up sitting I left in the Saturday. And then sit, did you sit in the airport all day? No, I did. I, I the had, flight got delayed five times, oh, so I should have stayed for Saturday and went to the Spirited Awards. Yeah, where our guest today won an award, the Baba the Award, Baba. <laughs> Best American Brand Ambassador, Misty Kalkafen. Hey, welcome. Get the clapping. Thank welcome you, to the show. <laughs> Dave. No clapping on that one. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> He's not usually a Foley artist. Oh, there we go. Nice. Best American right. brand ambassador. Thanks, Dave. Uh, how did that feel? That was pretty amazing. Vindicating? Oh, I don't know if vindicating <laughs> is the word I would use. It was, a, it was a special year. It was the first time in the history of the Spirited Awards that all four finalists were women. Mm. Um, which was really cool. So um, it was me, Lynn House, uh, um, Robin Nance, and and Luis Marquis. And so that was kind of a, a cool milestone to be a part of. Sure. Um, I honestly was not expecting to win, so that was kind of cool. But everybody really, says that. <laughs> yeah. But I think that it's. I wasn't um, expecting to win, but here's my acceptance. Yeah, speech. I actually <laughs> clean house. I had all kinds of bets on you. I, Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks for that. I'll, I'll buy lunch now. Right? But it's it's really one of the things that I love about it is that it's you're being recognized by your peers, um, which is really cool. And that feels great. I was standing outside of the um, the venue of the Spirited Awards, and, and this woman's like, what's going on? And, and Evan, who works with us in Texas, he goes, she just won an award. And the woman's like, did you win any money? <laughs> I was like, no, but I was recognized by my peers, which is better. And she kind of looked at me like, yeah, she walked, I she walked believe on. believe that. <laughs> she walked on. Did you show her the, 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 the crystal plate? I, I was gripping it really hard because one of the first things anyone said to me was Jim Meehan coming up to me and saying, don't break your plate. It's really embarrassing to have to ask for another one. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. If I got one, I'd break it weekly. <laughs> I'm going to ask for another one every week. I get 52, right? <laughs> you just got them lined up. Uh, so you won Best American Brand Ambassador, so let's talk about that. What brand do you represent? I work for Del Maguey Single Village Moscow. I could have guessed, given all these um, <laughs> Del Maguey bottles sitting on the on the table. You here. are in the catbird seat right now. I, you I am. Yeah. So, <laughs> so got a other, fleet out in front of me, yes. Before you were 
the co-host on the show, Misty yeah. was on the show about a, right. year, a year and change before that, right? Two years and change. No, before, I mean, before you. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Before I was on the show, sure. Yeah. 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 That was awesome. I can't believe you invited me back. Of course. <laughs> Kidding me? We had a blast. Well, that's, you know, we booked you on the show long before you won. It's because we were betting for you to win. That's true. We, we like the show to have, you know, notoriety on there. There we go. Oh, that sounds good. nice. Uh, talk to me about what I'm pouring, and then let's talk about stuff. Um, so you are pouring wow. our papalote from San Pablo Amayeltepec, Puebla. Um, Puebla San was... Pablo Amayeltepec. <laughs> That's pretty good for your first try there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like a mimic. <laughs> so Puebla was the last um, state that had municipalities that were entered into the denomination of origin of Mezcal, um, which happened a little over a year ago in December of 2015, um, <clears throat> which is really interesting because it has actually one of the oldest traditions of making Mezcal in all of Mexico, um, but it was just added to the denomination of origin, so it kind of shows shed some light on kind of the politics that are involved mm. in um there's a lot of heated politics involved with mezcal right yes i mean in, in agave distillates in in general sure. it's, it's challenging there's a lot of challenges as far as raw material and legislation and who has a voice and who doesn't have a voice um and who decides that um so it's a really complex category for a lot of different reasons oh thank you well, thank you um, and you are super passionate about the juice. You, lo- you love it, right? I do love it. I, I, I met Ron Cooper in 2008. He rolled into my bar on a Friday night, which is not really the time when you want to be meeting people from brands, but it just happened to be a slow Friday night. And I'd never had an call before that, so it was really nice to start at the top. I never had my, my experience with a bottle of, you know, industrially made worm in the bottle you know, kind of stuff. Yeah. So starting at the top, you know, um, can, uh, and it let's, was, get, let's pause for one second. And, and can you tell the audience about who's Ron Cooper? Ooh, Ron Cooper. I know Damon knows, but maybe everyone <laughs> listening doesn't know. Ron Cooper is, well, first and foremost, an artist, a world renowned artist, who right? Has pieces in the Guggenheim, um, worked out of a gallery in Southern California called the Ferris gallery in the late sixties. Any of you who are in the art world and understand how monumental that was. Um, but he's also the founder of Del Maguey. Um, he founded the company in 1995 to share liquid art with all of his friends. Right. So, um, but that's how I got interested in this. I, actually, I can blame um, Leo de Graff because Ron <laughs> we all blame went, Leo de yeah. Graff. <laughs> well, <laughs> Ron went to Lemon Boy and was like, "Hey, who in Boston is going to understand my juice?" And Leo's like, "Go see Misty at Green Street." And so he rolled in and started pulling out the bottles, and I was like, "What is going on here?" Um, and just started pouring out mezcal for me, and I was tasting it, and I was like, "I have never tasted anything like this in my life." And um, so it started. You know, he was back the next week in Boston. We went out for a nice long dinner, talking about ritual and mezcal because I went to Harvard Divinity School, so that was really intriguing to me. And that was the beginning of a long friendship, and then I tortured him for about three years when my wrist started giving out. I'm like, hire me, hire me, hire me. <laughs> I, need, I need an escape hatch from the bar scene. And finally, he relented. What, <laughs> and here I am. Do you want to talk a little bit about the one we're about to taste? Yeah, so this is... Papal- and how we're tasting it, by the way? Oh, yeah, so we're in our little copitas here. So, um, first of all, we'll do our toast. We'll do a little cross on the ground here. Oh, yeah, where's that? Does everybody do that? <laughs> uh, you don't have to. You can drink no, your mezcal. But little cross on the ground for Mother Earth and our ancestors. So we poured out just a little cross-shaped 
splash on the <laughs> studio floor for <laughs> Mother Earth and our ancestors. Yeah, and Stigi Bale. Stigi Bale. Bakin. And what's the second one? Bakin. Bakin. I hadn't heard that one before. Serve yourself. Oh. And this little copita, it's made of clay. It's like mm-hmm. a, it looks like the bottom of a of a flower pot, but but, but <laughs> tiny. And holding delicious. Oh my gosh, so delicious. Mm-hmm. Why uh, do we drink it from clay? Well, so traditionally in Oaxaca, you would uh, drink out of what's called a jicara, and that's um, a gourd or a fruit called cuastacamate that's been hollowed out and then dried, and so it's um, wide and deep usually. And it's kind of challenging to get enough cuastacumate in the U.S. for all of your accounts. So Ron works with um, a, a family in Oaxaca who produces these clay cups for us mm-hmm. to replicate a kind of the shape of the jicara. Because you're talk- when you're talking about traditional mezcal, you're talking about 45 to 55% alcohol generally. So having that wide um, mouth and that... You know, the shallow. There's a lot of surface shallow. area. It allows for all of the alcohol to dissipate, and then you get to all of the other layers underneath of, you know, fruits and nuts and the agave itself and all. So your the, the burst of aroma is not just an yeah, alcohol burn. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, it's great. Yeah. It's a good Stigibo. one. Did you bail? I still uh, have to tell you. <laughs> Probably shouldn't tell the story on air, but <laughs> where else are you gonna Do tell it? it? <laughs> I yeah, will shut the thing off. For I 10 often minutes. tell the story that you told me about Ron Cooper about the uh, the Iberico. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> is it is it radio worthy? I don't know. I don't know if I want to. It's up to you if you want to. But it's just a funny story about. You have to tune in for the excerpts to get that one. <laughs> yeah. I, didn't we talk that's... about it on the last show? I don't think so. No, we talked about it afterwards. Oh, did we? Okay. Yeah. It's on the extended DVD. Yeah. The, yeah, the, the anyway, outtakes. That's a funny story about the... Yeah. Subscribe the, uh, to the speakeasy. The yeah. 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 Find us at the bar. We'll do it over Yeah, come to the bar and ask us about it. Uh, but uh, it's a funny story about the uh, the origin of the Iberico uh, mezcal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Which is delicious. Yeah. Yeah. Is that on the table? Are we going to get that one? No. no? We okay, don't have fine. it here today. Sorry right, about fine. that. If I had known. How many marks are there? You guys have a lot now. It's like it's about twenty all said and done. Um, there's a couple of things that have been released in um, uh, Europe that haven't been released in the U.S. You know, it's a there's so much delicious mezcal. Yeah, they get all the good stuff. Why, yeah, seriously. You know, it's a, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that they would say it's the other way around. <laughs> Listen, we're closer. Um, you know, once you have that many marks, you have to be really thoughtful about how you're releasing and introducing things so that, you know, we work with 12 families and we have a commitment to 12 families that we're going to sell their mezcal um, and help them with their livelihoods. And that's awesome. And in return, it's a mutual commitment. They're providing delicious right. juice and, and offering we have this opportunity to be a part of their lives and families. And so it's a really great symbiotic relationship. Uh, but that commitment, you know, I take very seriously. And once you have so many bottles, you want to make sure that you're not cannibalizing your own line, you know, right. of course. You introduce something. It might mean they take something else off the bar. And it's like, what does that mean if it's not the same family, you know, right. um, as far as sales are concerned. So I'm really thoughtful about that. Um, people always talk about depletions for me. The only thing that matters for me depletions is like, I look at each family and I want to make sure that those numbers are 
are going in the right, you know, at least staying stable and hopefully creeping up a little bit for them and not going down because then I get sad. You know, I have I have a few bar tender bar owners around the country who are like, okay, I own the kind of bar where I can do a cocktail that's, you know, $25 and nobody's going to blink an eye. So if you ever need help on something, let me know. And I'm like, okay, you're on speed dial. <laughs> <laughs> Um, how do these, how does, you, you talk about the 12 families that you work with. Yeah. How does that work? It's partnership, right? So each family owns their own business mm-hmm. and, and we purchase from them, but there's, you know, there's a lot of ways in which we cross over, um, you know, whether it's in some cases helping to purchase agave, if they're working with Espadine and things of that nature, but each family is in control of their own business. Mm-hmm. Um, and we sign contracts with them, um, to, for them to be a part of Delmagay. We've been working, you know, uh, our families, um, that we started with in Chichicapa, Santa Catarina, Minas, Santo Domingo, and, uh, San Luis del Rio. Um, they're all the same families. So we've had um, over 20-year relationships right. with the original families, which is really cool because Del Miguel started in 1995. And so those first four came out in 1995 and 1996. And that's something that personally I'm really proud of because as as, I, as the category is growing, something that I'm seeing is there's a lot of people that are making short-term arrangements with producers and families. And then if they're finding better prices, moving to another family in another community. It's a very short-term relationships sure. that don't necessarily bring enough to into the family to make a difference in a life or in a community from a financial standpoint and an infrastructure standpoint and all of these things that we have the opportunity um, to be a part of in a long-term relationship. Um, And so that's something that I'm really proud of as far as the brand is concerned, that we're still working with the same families. And it's, it's cool. Like, I think that's important for me. I'm, you know, um, now I'm kind of working now there's, I'm fortunate enough to have amazing people working regionally in the U.S. with me. And so I'm spending more time in Oaxaca, which is like a dream come true for me. Um, and so um, I'm getting, having the opportunity to go to the baptisms and the birthday parties and the weddings right. and seeing kind of firsthand like that it, it's much, so much more than a business, you know, that it's, we always talk about the Del Miguel family and people feel like that's kind of just words, but it's not, you know, after 22 years, you can't help but be a part of somebody's family yeah. and they're a part of yours. And so it's really cool. That's and great. it's fun. How about the families themselves? Are they close knit? Do they know each other? They know, is, um, is that a community that's been built because of this? Uh, to a certain degree. Sure. Yes. Um, uh, from the original four villages, um, they all know one another. Um, and, and that's good. The other producers that we work with in the Mixteca and in, in Puebla, obviously, distance-wise, that's right. pretty significant. So there's not as close of a relationship. But on our 20th anniversary, we threw a kick-ass party <laughs> <laughs> in Oaxaca. And um, all of our producers came for the party in, in Centro. And so there was an opportunity. We had a table set up with every mezcal that we've ever purchased from them, whether it was released yet or not. We had brought some bartenders down from the States, so we had bars set up. Um, we had a... a Where were we? Did you get an invite? <laughs> Damn, I didn't get an invite. Actually, I'm pretty sure that Ron sent out a big... Ron and Steve sent out big big emails that said if you can make it you're invited i don't it was like, i don't pay attention to anything steve sends up <laughs> <laughs> but it was steve crazy Olson. like we 
brought the town band from Teotitlan del Valle, where we bottle all our mezcal and where Ron lives. And uh, it's like a 16-piece brass band, and they played until like 3 o'clock in the morning. Cool. I did. It was awesome. It was, and then Ron, at the end of the night, pulled out bottles from the f- 1995 of Chichicapa in San Luis del Rio. Cool. Which was super rad, um, especially because the first year of San Luis del Rio, the label wasn't a Ken Price um, painting like all of our labels are now. It was a picture of Pasiano is the palenquero at San Luis del Rio, and his son is Marcos. And so the first year of San Luis del Rio was a picture of Marcos as a little boy He's wearing this bright blue shirt, and he's leading a burro that's weighted down with agaves down the river to the palenque, and that was the original label. So Marcos was there that night, and we had just started building him his own palenque across the river from his father. So they're still working together on everything, but he has ownership of this space, and he can start work on work on his, some of his own projects, like the madraquiche is his. And... Um, and so he was there that night, and he was wearing the same color blue shirt that he had on in the label. <laughs> so I have this awesome picture of him as, you know, this 30-something-year-old man holding this bottle of him as this little boy leading this burrow down <laughs> the river. It was super cool to be able to share that with him and, and try that's, that. That's super cool. Picture. Yeah. That's red. Yeah, super rad. Um, we're about at the halfway mark. and Already? Go, go, it goes so fast. I know. Going out, going out <laughs> on a party is a good thing. Uh, so you have a 20-year relationship with those families as a company. You've, been, the, you've been on the team for the a while. Was the borough there? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that would have made the picture. Extra he had great. another engagement. Um, <laughs> but uh, some other big news has happened in your company. We'll talk mm-hmm. about that when we come right back uh, on the air uh, on the Speakeasy with Misty Kalkofen. Eva Pelser's in the room as well. Um, Hi, Eva. Uh, (laughs) All right, so we'll be right back uh, after these messages from our sponsors. Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. George's son was the famous publisher, William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. Thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, the working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. Hi, I'm Sam Ben Ruby, host of the Grape Nation on Heritage Radio Network. Tune in every Wednesday at 6 p.m. to hear some of the best people in wine tell you about what's going on in the world of wine. Support my show and all of Heritage Radio Network's programming. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart to donate. And we are back. We are back. You're listening to the Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. And it's better every time. Get better every time. 
Um, we are we we have a bunch of bottles of mezcal in here. We're, we're talking with Misty and Ava from uh, Del Mague, and we get to try one. We were just talking about uh, all the families and the different. Uh, well, also the the borough that was there. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> we can't do it without the borough. MVP. Yeah. I want to know that borough's name. Um, it depends on which village. Yeah. The one in um, uh, where we make, actually, this mezcal, his name is Macho. Aww. Macho. <laughs> cool. <laughs> so this one is the Tepestate. Yeah. Am I pronouncing that right? Yes. That is correct. You're wild, doing, you're great today, man. Wild tepestate. Really. <laughs> I've been up. Really, I got up really early. I had a meeting at 10 a.m., which is unusual for me. So I've been up for many hours, <laughs> many more than many more than normal. And, and you don't drink coffee. I don't drink coffee, but I have my underbird right when I wake up. Yeah, bright and alert. Is that a good substitute for coffee? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I've been doing it for years. I have an underbird immediately when I wake up, before I brush my teeth or anything. Before his feet hit the ground. Before my feet hit the ground. Yeah. Well, you seem very sprightly, so it is working. Today it is. <laughs> Today it is. Uh, sprightly Southern. Let's, let's yeah, show take, us, take us into this one. Yeah. Okay, so this is a tepestate. Um, this is a plant that can take up to 35 years to reach maturity. What? So it has some really crazy complexity to it. I'm 36 and I still haven't matured. <laughs> <laughs> We're waiting. We're patient. No comment. <laughs> Um, uh, I always like to say this is like two mezcals in one because the nose is like so fruity and then you taste it and it goes like dark green and everything. So it's really cool. And it just has this unbelievably long finish to it. It's really crazy. Don't worry, Dave. We'll get you a sample. (laughs) Is Dave looking at us longingly from the... (laughs) (laughs) Stigy Bayo, guys. (laughs) Stigy Bayo. Wow. Dave's actually been like... he's. He's, 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 he's been getting, going into the... He's getting into the Foley arts. The, yeah, he's got, he's got a bunch of new ones in his bank. Where was the clip-clop when we talked about the borough? <laughs> no, don't look for that. Working on it. Don't look for that. <laughs> okay, so we left off with the big party for the 20-year... Yeah. Hurrah. Yeah. Um, and you guys have other things to celebrate, right? Oh, yeah. There's some big news that just big happened about news. you guys. Yeah. And I think, uh, I mean, uh, this kind of news happens a lot in our business, and it's oftentimes confusing and polarizing for people. So yeah. It's happened a lot recently. Yeah, it really has. It, yeah, it is, there's not a lot of information out there about exactly what it means, so I'm glad we're covering it today. Yeah, so let's clear the air. What happened? <gasps> What, what, am I, what am I talking about? What are you talking, <laughs> are you talking about? about? <laughs> so mysterious. Um, we have entered into a partnership with Pernod Ricard, um, which is really exciting for us and for the future of Del Maguey and our families. Um, so, you know, in the next few months, you're going to see some transitions as we move into Pernod Ricard being our importer first and foremost and 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 controlling kind of our route to market, as we like to call it. Um, but, you know, for us, it's a really exciting time to enter into a partnership with an organization like Pernod Ricard that has a um, just amazing people working for them. I think we can all agree that they yeah. have some beautiful people there. Um, but um, they have a... They, are, have a commitment to all of a, a lot of the same values that we have, and that's been really important. Um, and so I think it's a bit. It's, it's worth been, it's worth noting that you, you, the word you just use is a partnership, not an acquisition, right? Yeah. So you didn't get you didn't get purchased. You you now you have a partner that's got a lot of clout and some 
they can put some effort towards your brand. Exactly. And I think that, you know, for us, the most important thing is we were moving into um, uh, this partnership was finding the right partner who would allow us to maintain control of uh, the operations Um, so that our organization is still making the decisions about what happens in the Palenques and and with the producers. Um, Because after 22 years, we have really strong commitments to them, very strong beliefs about what is right for the category. Um, and, you know, Pernod Ricard recognizes that we have the knowledge they don't. Um, they're very excited for the partnership um, and, and what that means for them, you know, to be able to um, help us in the next kind of step. You know, the category is growing. And like with, wildfire. Uh, well, like wildfire. And, you know, it's so funny because it, it is growing remarkably. But if you were to look at numbers in comparison to some other categories, we're still just a little oh, baby, absolutely. baby, tiny. But I think that um, it, having watched other categories, especially in the agave um, uh, field, such as tequila, grow, we've seen some things happen that have been... Uh, you know, not all that savory. Um, and so um, to for us, it was really important to have the right partner who was going to allow us to make the right decisions moving forward. Um, I think as the category is growing, you're going to see more partnerships such as this. And we really want to be the company that is kind of the laying the groundwork of how you can have a partnership with an organization like Paranormal Regard. Do it right. Maintain your integrity. Maintain your commitments to sustainability, your families that you work with, um, and and still benefit the category um, and everybody around you. Well, I have to assume that after 22 years of doing this, Ron Ron's probably been approached more than once, right? Oh, yeah. So he said no to a bunch of things, and he wouldn't have said yes if it didn't mean good things for exactly for the families. Because, again, uh, all you talked about in the first half of the show really is how you guys are kind of first and foremost in the relationship business. Yeah. And then secondarily to that, due to those relationships, you produce mezcal. Yeah. Well, and for us, the brand itself grew because of the relationships. One of the things that Ron always says is, I built this brand nose to nose. Because when when he started in 1995, the only other mezcals in the country were industrially produced mezcals. And, And nobody, anybody who thought they knew something about mezcal didn't know anything that was correct about mezcal. Um, and so right. that's it was, the one with the worm in the bottle. Yeah, and and there was no other mezcal of a similar quality to Delmigay and in the U.S. until like 2013. Right. You know, so that that's 2006. 2006 was the first, and then at 2013 we really started to see the growth of the category. But that's 11 years of heavy lifting. Sure. Um, and so I think. You know, not just because I work for the brand, but just looking at those numbers and everything, we really, those of us who enjoy and appreciate Mescal, owe a lot to Ron Cooper. Absolutely. And um, I think that says a lot about his commitment to the category. Um, And so I understand sometimes, you know, people have definitely come to us with a certain amount of concerns based upon what they've seen in the tequila category. Um, But I think that that in its... Billion dollar acquisitions and the like. <laughs> yeah, that. Um, <laughs> um, That's a whole nother show. <laughs> but, you know, Ron's commitment to the growth of the category, I think for me, really shows that he's committed to um, the future of the category as well and that it stays, um, you know, really with the heart and soul that it's had from for thousands of years, so hundreds of years. So Yeah. Um, are you seeing any. Um 
are people confused by the situation? Or are, they, are you getting any backlash? Are you getting any like, oh, now they're owned by the big boys and that's going to change everything? Yeah, I, I think... Um, how, and how do you combat that or whatever? How do you approach it? I think there's a, a um, some misconceptions. I think there's a lot of people that don't quite understand all that it takes for us to get a product from Oaxaca to your bar um, and what that means in the process. It's Amazon, um, right? It's drones. That's what, that's what Damon said. <laughs> oh, we get everything, man. I want to see the packaging everything. if it's dropped by drones. Mezcal like, Prime. <laughs> <laughs> everything at Grand Army is delivered to, to, to guests at the table in the bar by drones, right? Right. You guys got like, like a that, control booth. It's like that OTG <laughs> app when you go to the airport. Like, yeah. Don't talk to the bartender. Yeah. <laughs> order it through an iPad. Press these buttons. <laughs> oh, that's the worst. It's the worst. I, I tell you a story about that later. I'm, so I'm more bad. afraid of that than the robot bartenders, that's for sure. <laughs> like, people keep saying, oh, robots are going to make drink. No, they're not. It's still going to be people. You just don't, you know, you're not going to talk to them anymore. Yeah, that's what's happening. I know. Thanks, Jason Luttrell and Theo Lieberman. <laughs> <laughs> I'll call them right out. <laughs> Thanks, pals. <laughs> We went to a place. <laughs> we, we live here now. Wow. Not in my bar. <laughs> I don't I even remember guys. what the question was. <laughs> I, I, uh, yeah, I think I asked, like, uh, I think I asked, what's this third bottle of Mezcal? <laughs> Great question. Like, here's my copita. Uh, I'm not going to be able to pronounce it unless you do it first. Aroqueño. Aroqueño. Excellent. Let's see how that one sounds. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's got some <laughs> little, little baritone, yeah. <laughs> so, Southern, I thought your question was, was interesting, um, you know, getting to the meat of it. You know, how has this been received by our peers in the industry, both, you know, on the trade side and the bartending side, and also by our uh, colleagues who also work with Miscal on the brand end? Yeah, so answer it. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't given the floor to Miss there. Oh, well, Ava. Oh. <laughs> Everyone, Ava Balser. Yeah, Hello. Ava Balser. <laughs> Chime in. Um, I, would say, I mean, I, I would love to hear Misty talk as well in terms of her experiences. Um, I think we've seen overwhelming support, to be honest, mm-hmm. um, both from the bar side and from other people who work with brands. Um, but I will say that this is absolutely the time for questions and critical thinking um, for us and for the rest of the spirit category. And I think if you are committed to preserving this culture and honoring what Mescal is, you're going to ask questions. And we encourage that. I think, I hope it's been clear that we've made ourselves very available in all of our markets. We're a tiny company. There's four of us full-time in the U.S. Um, But we have hopefully made um, very clear efforts to be available. Um, And I can speak personally that I would like to hear all the hard questions. And I'm going to hopefully be able to answer them. If I cannot... Um, I will find the answer and come back to you. And if I can't find the answer, then, you know, keep that, keep that in mind. I, yeah. think, I think there's something interesting to be said about this whole situation. And I was talking with my buddy, Luke Plant, you know, Luke from Bull in China. Indeed, Bull yeah. In. So he actually just started with uh, like Diageo Southern in, in uh, Oregon. And we were talking about it on the phone yesterday or the day before. And uh, this guy's like, it's like punk rock dude. You yeah, know? absolutely. And, uh, you know, tattoos on his knuckles. Yeah, man, all over the place. <laughs> um, but uh, we're talking about. I was like, dude, you know, back in the day, you would have thought of like going to like one of these big companies is like selling out or whatever. But it's really like buying in and actually changing the game from the inside. Because I, the way I feel about this partnership is like, and the fact that it is a partnership, not an acquisition. It's like if you are a smaller brand that gets in 
to the bigger game, you're actually there for a reason. You have like a certain trajectory to change things. And I mean, also, it doesn't hurt to have a few extra bucks. <laughs> from, well, and from, I think that's... So I, I just don't think it's a bad thing like a lot of people always assume. I think resources for the category of Mezcal have been scarce, <laughs> to yeah. say the least, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that it's really important to recognize that now some we have a lot of issues with sustainability. There's a lot of challenges in, in the category in regards to obviously raw material, but also other aspects of, you know, water and waste and all of this kind of stuff. And, you know, through my work, not only with Del Miguel, but also with the Tequila Interchange Project, I've gone to amazing seminars where there's these young scientists who have all of these great ideas about how to manage some of these things, but there's no funds available to actually do the testing to figure out something that has a lot of potential and that could be totally cost-effective to manage something like Vanessa's, which is wastewater, and would be available to the category you know, as a whole once that testing period was available. There's just no money. to. It takes money to get through that initial stage of, of testing, right. and it just hasn't been available. So... To have resources like that available could be really amazing for not just Del Miguel, but the cat, but category wide, and and that's something that's really important to me personally and Del Miguel. You know, my my friend Gabriel, who works with us in in um, Oaxaca, his title is sustainability. Like he looks at both the environmental side of sustainability, but also the human side of sustainability. So you know whether it's looking at how a solar panel on our palenques that are off the the power grid or looking at things that need to happen for educational purposes or things of that nature with the families that we work with how can we make that happen and that's his whole job and you know forecasting for our espadine if we're going to grow the same way over the next 10 years how many espadines will we be planting right now that's just, you the, know it's like yeah. and that's that the scares con- the shit out of me, actually. That's always the scariest thing about, like, any agave spirits. Like, they just... The We're going to consume it faster so than it can long. replace itself. Yeah. yeah, and they take so long to come to maturation. It's like... Well, and that's where, from from our pers- from my perspective, we come in and with a very... Uh, we, we have this long history. And so we can look at the last 22 years and note our growth and see the changes in the category and forecast a lot better than younger brands can. Sure. So for us, that's, you know, we that's a benefit to, you know, having done the heavy lifting for sure. 11 yeah, years when nobody knew what Mescal was. We've been able to keep track of this and it provides us a certain amount of data to be able to project and plan appropriately um, so that we're we're maintaining sustainability for our brand and hopefully leading the way as far as setting an example for the category as well on how to do it right um i think for me the you know the scariest part is when you have people who are in, interested in the category and starting a brand but they don't have any history within the category or within agave spirits and they don't quite understand the complexities that are involved i think that's a pretty frightening thing with the growth of the category. Yeah. Agreed. Scary. 
<laughs> Not to bring it all down. No. Maybe we should drink this mezcal. <laughs> well, it doesn't. You know, I mean, I guess the bottom line to all that is for the listener is this stuff just doesn't turn around as fast as, say, no. you know, growing corn to make uh, bourbon. But and even when you make the bourbon, you still got to rest it, uh, you know, in a barrel for a few years. But that is such a shorter amount of time in comparison yeah. to what did you say about this this one before? Up to thirty five years? years. Yeah, like that's a. That's that's and a fucking drinking. lifetime for most of our listeners, right? Like yeah. that's as long as you've been alive, this thing isn't even ready to make yeah. the juice. Yeah, and on top of it, it grows wild, so it's not like you're right. It's like truffle it, hunting. Yeah, it's not like you're going out and planting a field. That's why you know espadine is our primary cultivated mes- um, agave for mezcal. Um, and I always like to say that your your main diet should be espadine, and the wild varietal should be your salt and pepper. Um, right, see, because from I, the cultivated, we can plan and we can forecast. Um, with the, if we're over harvesting our wild varietals, then we get into bigger issues. Um, and so for us, it's really trusting our producers. Um, most of our producers work on a, a hedal land, so it's shared communal property um, that they gain access to based upon their. Um, service to the community, which is pretty cool when you think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and so they've been working these same lands for generations and generations. So really trusting them to tell us what they can and cannot do mm-hmm. is really important, you know, um, and not pushing them in any sort of way to grow beyond their means. Um, and so for us, that's the importance of us maintaining the control of the day-to-day operations because we've seen this and been a part of it for 22 years. Yeah, even even that statement is 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 somewhat counterintuitive to what most folks in, in your positions do, which is buy the juice, drink the juice. You literally just said, drink, don't drink a lot of this one. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, like we're Do, drinking right drink now, we're drinking our Arocano and, yeah. it, you know, drink, it's drink a... some, but drink in moderation, even more so than the drinking <laughs> well, responsibly be... thing. Sip it, don't shoot it, says yeah, it on the bottle. Sip, sip it, it, don't shoot, shoot it. it. That's right. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not telling you not to go out and buy the bottle if it's there, but if I, if Ava comes into your bar next week and you're trying to reorder Arocano and she says it's not available, don't be mad about it. Because what that means is there's no mature plants. We're not harvesting too early you're not going to rush in it. order to provide something be- just because you want it available to you um you know like right you're not going to rush it's it. it's a thought, not, it's a thoughtful decision yeah exactly you're not going to put a winter tomato on my hamburger just so i can have a tomato on my hamburger you're going to wait <laughs> for summer and put a nice tomato on there right that just hurt my soul <laughs> <laughs> i only eat four hamburgers a year they're all awesome <laughs> <laughs> It's like an analogy that I use in a lot of things in life. <laughs> but I see, I, you know, I understand what you're saying. Like, if it's, I, if it's going to take this long to make, and the, it's in short supply, and it's a thing that grows wild, there's no forecasting or judging. And mm-hmm. if we pound through the product, then we're going to be left holding an empty bottle. Yeah, and I, I think that, especially like on the propagation side, the wild agaves, they're reproducing through the quixote or the flowering stock. If we harvest everything and don't allow any of them to flower, because once they flower, you can't harvest them and make mezcal, we're, we're impeding the generations to come. Like, we want this to be a successful operation, um, not just for the brand on the gay, but for the families. This is what the families have been doing for generations, and we want to make sure that the sons, the grandsons, the daughters, the granddaughters, whoever the next generation is, still has this opportunity available to them. Um, you know, it's a plant that's so connected to the culture too. So we don't want to be like extracting anything outside. Yeah. You know, we're 
we're fortunate to be allowed to be a part of this, you know? Um, and, and so our, our goal is preservation and protection. Yeah. It's a good goal to have. Yeah, it is. Um, we were talking about this a little bit before the show. It's like, we talked a little bit about like the channels about distribution and like Mm -hmm. all the steps that are taken. Like, and you were saying, you know, before the show, do you want to talk about that a little bit? You were talking about like, you know, like there's, there's, no such thing as really like a, a bottle of like nineteen dollar methcal or whatever. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, extrapolate on that. Yeah, I think you know you were saying you have to think about agave distillates very differently from sure. the way that you think about your gin or your vodka. That the raw material is something that you can have several harvests in a year, and you can make very quickly from the harvest and until having a vodka. It can be forty eight hours, seventy two hours, depending upon how right. proximity. You know, that's not the case for us at all, um, and so. I think it's the the onus and the responsibility of a bartender to really understand a little bit more about that supply chain. And, you know, agave spirits are very specific in the fact that our raw material can take 7 to 35 years to reach maturity, which is insane. Um, but there are certain aspects, no matter what spirit category you're talking about, that are always going to be there, whether it's the packaging, the transportation, um, the taxes that are being paid, all of that kind of stuff. So thinking about what you're asking of the people that are coming in to sell you something. For example, for me, you're talking about like store owners, bar, bar t- managers. Exactly. Buyers. And so if I come in and say to you that the price of Arvita, which is you know what people would use in their well, and they're like, ah, I can't do it. If you can get it down to this price, I can do it. We're already offering you the price that allows us to actually take care of the people at the beginning of the supply chain, which is really important to us. And we're not going to give on that um, because it's really important for us that they make what they they deserve to make for the hard work and energy and effort that goes into it. You're saying like the people who produce the bottles are, they're never going to give you a price break. There's not going to, the taxes, um, every single batch has to be analyzed in a lab. Um, you have to get certified by the regulatory agency, um, the CRM, the Consejo. Um, the taxes can be ridiculous. And then between importer distributor, there's people that take their points along the way as well because they have to pay for warehousing and shipping again and all of those things. So, so really, if the, you the really only person it can lose in is, this whole situation is, is the at producer. the beginning of the supply yeah. chain. Right. And so it, it's our responsibility to say no, <laughs> you know, but it's also your responsibility to a certain degree. And by you, I mean bartenders and owners. And I spent 20 years in that position and I'm embarrassed to say that I didn't know as much as I should have. Um, and so as we're standing up and being concerned about sustainability, there's a human aspect of sustainability and that's making sure that they, they are making what is due to them, you know, to, that it's really a just category and right. people aren't being taken advantage of in any sort of way. I mean, I always, I always say this at, at my bar because we do like dollar oyster happy hour, but not, not all of them are a dollar. They're like, <laughs> are Kumamoto's a dollar? I'm like, dude, if you ever see a dollar Kumamoto, you probably don't want to eat it. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Like, yeah, the quality is a little uh, yeah. well, iffy. But, that's, but, but it's also the way I mean, like, I'm, I'm all about drinking cheap whiskey. Yeah, man. I love great whiskey. I love all whiskey. But like, I think like specifically... Two spirits that I'm like, all right, I don't want to scamp out on this. It's gin and mezcal. I'm like, dude, I, I like to savor those flavors, sure. and like, I want something that's of like high quality, and I want to spend money on it. You know, I mean, I think it brings a whole new layer to the term "drink responsibly." Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. We're not <laughs> yeah. just not imbibing so much that we make a fool of ourselves or hurt ourselves. We're imbibing wisely so yeah. that. 
the products can maintain their integrity and the products can, in your case, the families can get what they're due, as you said. And yes. we're it able to offer to this 20 Just, years from now, 40 years from now, 60 years from now. Man, I'm feeling that, that pain in my back coming back. from just <laughs> patting myself in the back, <laughs> drinking uh, a <laughs> Well, shocking, uh, but true. This show has flown by. Uh, we have to wrap it up because there's a show following us. Um, but it's been great having you in the studio, both Misty Kaufman, uh, Baba, brand ambassador <laughs> of the year or whatever it was. Uh, uh, best, b- best American brand best ambassador. Best American brand ambassador. Baba. <laughs> Baba. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> and Eva Pelzer, too. Thank you so much, guys. It's been Thank you. Yeah, pleasure. really great yeah. having you guys in here. Now we're going to actually bolt from here and go straight over to Coup. Uh, and we're going to do some Mezcal bartending. Uh, yeah. Misty's getting behind the bar and doing some drinks. Stretch it out. Uh, yeah. Gonna, <laughs> That's the rest off. And we're going to raise money for, uh, 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 what's the, the organization? The Young called? Center for Immigrant Children's Rights. The Young Center for Immigrant Children's Rights. Please look them up. They do incredible work. Yeah. And they're very, very small. It's youngcenter.org. I, I just looked it up. Yeah. Um, Randomly, uh, I was going to maybe talk about it for a second here on the show, but didn't really get to. But this Sunday at Coup, a free event for industry here in New York City. Um, you can check my Facebook page, Southern Teague, to see the invite. Uh, I need I need to know who's coming because of limited seats. Uh, we've got Lou Bank from uh, Sacred Agave oh, nice. coming cool. in to talk to from us. Chicago. Yeah, coming in to talk to us about the category as a whole. Um, Very cool. This guy's a, a like he murders it, right? Yeah. Um, I've, I've only ever spoken to him by a internet. I've never seen him in person, so I'm really excited to have him at the bar. Free event for industry. It's going to be from four to seven this coming Sunday, August the fourth. Um, coming up on the show uh, in the future, soon in the near future, we've got both Karen Fu uh, followed by Yay, Liz- Karen. Yeah, Karen. Yeah, Karen. Wow. Word. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right, Karen Fu, everybody. <laughs> You're gonna wear that button now. <laughs> Uh, and then uh, Lacey Hawkins is coming after that. And then no, you, hell yes, like, Lacey. Yeah, strong <laughs> ladies, the ladies in the, in yeah. the studio. Yeah. And then, Damon, you booked someone for... Uh, we, on the 30th, we have uh, the crew from Michter's. We have the Master yeah. Stiller. We've got my buddy John Holzinger. They're all going to be here. So we're going to... Let's we're load the room be... up and drink some whiskey on the 30th. <laughs> that right. sounds exciting. Um, that's all I've got. Uh, Damon, you want to wrap us that's, up? It sounded... Perfect to me, buddy. Um, yeah, cool. So I guess that's it for this week. Uh, check out Heritage Radio Network for many other programs like this one. Until next week, Steejie Bayou. Steejie Bayou. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.